0: To the dean at stumps podcast zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by dean duplicy well we continue to push out some incredibly good content for you while lockdown is still happening in various parts around the world hello and welcome to the dean at stumps podcast And uh, if you've only heard of the Dean at Stumps podcast for the first time, well, then I suggest you subscribe because let me tell you, we have some fantastic interviews for you to listen to. From Michael Holding to David Gower to Andy Flowers' playing days for Zimbabwe, we also have a little bit of Sean Pollock, Pomi Mbangwa, and many more. And uh, all you do is you simply go to your preferred podcast app, you search for Dean at Stumps as an AT, and you subscribe. It's as simple as that. Yes, hello and a very warm welcome to you. My name is Dean Duplessis. I don't know about your part of the world, but here in Zimbabwe, you can feel just a gentle, gentle chill in the air. So at nighttime, the temperature drops ever so slightly and then first thing in the morning as well. But then we do during the day still have that typical Zimbabwean sunshine, which keeps you nice and warm. So how often does it happen when you have two people of the same name getting together on a podcast and having a good old chat, good old chinwag, as we like to say? Well, it does actually happen from time to time. I was very, very fortunate to catch up with one of Australia's finest batsmen back in the 1980s and early 1990s. He was particularly well known for his number footwork, his brilliance in the outfield and his ability to rotate strike very aggressively as well and certainly I do remember him on the odd occasion coming down the wicket and even charging the genuine quick bowlers as well. He's a very well-known commentator, some love him, some hate him, but I think that's how it is with people generally speaking in life. I'm of course referring to Dino, Dean Jones, who joined me on the Dean at Stumps podcast, and I first of all started off by asking him about the joys and the excitement of being inducted into Australia's Cricket Hall of Fame was it something that he expected? Oh look, Dean, it's uh, nice to join
1: you and uh, well become one of the list of huge <laughs> celebrities you've had on the uh, on the podcast. So it's nice to talk to you again and your your very good voice. What a voice you have! Thank you. Um, the Hall of Fame it was. Well, I didn't see it coming. I, I still don't believe oh, I deserved it. I really don't. But um, you know, it's it's a big thing here in Australia. Uh, I don't know about your hall of fames, cricket hall of fames you have in South Africa, but it's um, to be amongst um, the legends of the game and have my name up on the wall with those guys is, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of work's gone into it, but I'm very proud of it as my family are.
0: And um, what what are you actually doing with yourself at the moment? Because I know that you did a little bit of consultancy work with Afghanistan a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. So what is, uh, what is the great Dean Jones up to these days?
1: Well, lots of things. Um, gee, with this, with this day and age of COVID, etc., I, I try not to just be stuck with one particular job. Um, uh, in the past, I've, I've run, I've owned event management companies, cometry. Um, commentary. Um, I'm into commentary now. I coach um, Karachi in the Pakistan Super League. I've been coaching in the T10 leagues. Um, I'm, I'm on the boards for the Canadian Premier League, uh, GT20, and also the newly formed European T20 League, which is Holland, um, Scotland and Ireland, which is hoping to play, fingers crossed, in, in September, October. Um, so I do a, a host of things. Um, you know, journalists are right for our major Fairfax papers here in Australia. So if one falls off, as it often does occasionally, Dean, as you know, um, you've got to make sure you've got to cover your backside somewhere. So. I, I, I do a multitude of things and, and, and I help facilitate Australian companies trying to get into India um, with the big, huge fight with China that's going on at the moment. Uh, I think a, a lot of Australian companies and other companies are looking to go into India to expand their business and further their business. So um, I, I help a, company, a few companies facilitate deals into India.
0: Wow. So you certainly have a lot on your plate, that's for sure, uh, which is exactly how it should be. Do you enjoy commentating? I, I, you know, when I listen to you, you're one of those commentators who speak very naturally. Um, and and I love listening to the way that you talk because it's not forced. You know, you do have some of these commentators that sound a bit forced. You have others who actually sound that like they don't particularly want to be there. To me, it just sounds like as soon as you step into that commentary box, you are in your element because you're doing something that you love and you're also watching a game that you love.
1: Yeah, that's the way it is. I think you can't be forced or, <coughs> excuse me, you've got to be natural at what you do. Um, by G, and Dino, the, the fact that um, commentary's changed so much when I first started. Back in, actually, my first stint was in ninety on the 94 tour in Australia. Went to South Africa and I commentated with Richie Beno. And we sat in the box and he told me to pick up the mic and that was it. it. I thought I was sitting in the jumbo jet. And I got all these screens at me and buttons and I had no idea what was what. Yeah. And Richie would give it that, well, welcome back to Joburg and uh, Australia. Whatever, and going into his stuff, and (laughs) then he put the microphone down, and it was my turn to speak. And I didn't know—I didn't even know what a fruit machine looked like or um, scores. And the fruit machine, for your listeners, is it tells us all the scores, the players' partnerships, everything about the game that's happening. You think we know it, but we don't. If it wasn't for the fruit machine, a lot of commentators would be finished. Absolutely. Um, So, so it's uh, uh, yeah, and I actually try to need fours and sixes in the commentary booth. I actually try to preempt a little bit what's going to happen, what I feel that's going to happen. I tend to commentate through a batsman's eyes more, more so than a bowler's eyes. Um, but I really I, I really love commentating. I hate playing cricket. If you ask me to go and play cricket now, I, I, I'll walk the other way. I hate to go. Really? Um, but love commentating it. I love watching young guys go about their stuff, you know, and – I think we were lucky enough in our time, Dean, to
0: have a guy like Richie Benno to discuss exactly what Shane Wong was going about, how and how he was setting up batsmen, what was
1: his technique. He's going to bowl the flipper in a minute. It's coming, it's coming, and then the flipper comes and Darrell is out. So, But he would build it up as that. Um, I still think in the, a lot of commentators don't talk about the greatness of players Enough. I don't think we got enough out of talking about how good Ricky Ponting was, how you was setting a bowler up um, to make a bowl short or to do something, um, and, and, and how he was managing his innings. Um, it's, it's such an art form, and yeah, a lot of people don't like some of my style, but you know, it's you've got to fit into where what style that suits you. Um, I love to, I love Test cricket, love ODIs and T20 cricket, well. If you're not up and about, you know, they ask you. to... The director will tell you to be more up. Come on, you've got to get into the game, and that's what the fans love now. Well, that's what we as, yeah. It, anyway.
0: Yeah, well, no, that's it. It's you're absolutely right. But uh, would, I'm hoping, by the way, that you're going to tell me that test cricket is still the purest form and that you do still love that the most. I mean, we understand that there's a place for T20 uh, and even the T10, I'm not fond of that, but I suppose it has its, its time and its place. But I'm hoping that, uh, uh, that you're going to tell me that you do still prefer test cricket over anything else.
1: <laughs> Look, I do. Uh, I love playing test cricket more than, than most, uh, than the ODIs. I never played T20s. Oh, Actually, I did. Believe it or not In the early 2000s I actually opened The batting with MS Dhoni in a, in a series In Bangalore right. Believe it or not right. We played against um, Victoria And New South Wales Etc So Then I knew What Dhoni was like Because he made 50 off 30 odd balls And I think I got a nice Quiet 9 off 9 <laughs> And I realised Batting at one end How good this kid was Nobody knew About MS Dhoni Back then And I thought Oh this kid's Destined for greatness but they got a lot of great players over there as kids. But look, he has become a great. But you know what? I, 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 test cricket, look, no doubt, we love. Uh, you know, it's it's you've got to earn your stripes. Um, but I, I still feel in ODI cricket, it's probably the hardest form of the game to play now. Uh, if you've got any weakness in your game, one day cricket will find it. Whether it be fitness, fielding, whether you've got power hitting, you're running between the wickets. Um, everything Being able to work the ball for once and hit holes I think one day cricket actually Is a little bit harder to play The way the game is played now Not in the time when I played But the way the game is played now um, You ask a guy, come off a day's cricket Test cricket, he makes 100 That's all day Yeah, he's tied at the end of the day's play But you make a 100 in an ODI You're absolutely knackered You're done you, You're you cooked And the way these guys are going around, like Warner and these guys are are amazing, um, how well they play, and then they've got to back it up two days later and do the same thing again. So uh, T20 cricket's just about power. Don't worry about fitness. Bring, Bring the big bats, load it up and bomb it, and that's the game. And as a bowler, if you can't hit your defensive lines and lengths, you're going to be met. And that's the way T20 cricket is in a nutshell.
0: And who is your current favourite Australian cricketer?
1: Really have one. I, I, I love Steve Smith the way he's gone about it, but I don't enjoy watching him play. I would rather watch Babar Azam play. Mm-hmm. Um, can be more pure, stylish, side-on player. But he's differently. It's yeah, it's a good question, Dean, Because I love watching. Geez, I used to love watch Mitchell Johnson bowl against the South Africans. He got me at the end of the seat because I. It's not nice facing a guy at one hundred and fifty clicks who's trying to kill you. That's not nice And I've, I've, I've had that for about 10 years You know, facing the West Indies guys And to see him At times bowling in South Africa And then bowling at home he, He's a player that gets people To push forward on their seat mm. Now that's something special That, uh, that people have that um,
0: um, I, I like watching Coley play
1: He's, he's brilliant and uh, he, It's his attitude, it's the package All about him um, Pat Cummins, I love the way he's going about his work. There's a couple of guys I I think I love Nathan Lyon For a guy It just bowls top spinners And off spinners Doesn't have a doozra Or an arm ball He's got 300 plus test wickets Just blows me away But he keeps delivering And he's just a ripper bloke You know So there's a few people I like I don't have a favourite per se Mm.
0: Yeah I I think a true cricket lover Would would exactly Would agree with Exactly with your sentiments Um, It's interesting You mentioned the name Virat Kohli Now obviously You wouldn't have played Against Virat Kohli You would have watched A lot of him Mm. But what is it, though, Dean, I don't know what it is with us slightly older um, cricket lovers, is that if you were to personally ask me, who would I prefer listening to at the crease or watching, it sounds a bit silly to say listening to, watching at the crease, Sachin Tendulkar or Kohli? I'm afraid... I'm still a very big Sachin fan. Is that just maybe because yeah. I kind of, you know, was introduced to cricket when Sachin was, was at his best or growing to become his best versus Vera Kohli? Because there's just something about Tendulkar when he came to the crease and faced up against be it Shane Warne, be it Alan Donald, uh, Kirtley yeah. Ambrose or Courtney Walsh versus a Veracoli who will face a Cajiso Rabada or a Nason line. I, I don't know. There's just something, it's not that same um, air of expectation around the ground and on the television for some reason to me personally, I may be wrong.
1: Well, it, it probably in my time. Would you rather, I played against Sachin and would you rather watch Sachin play or a Brian Lara play? You know, um, I think certain players have certain gears. I think Brian Lara had one more gear than Sachin.
0: Yes. Um,
1: had more flair than Sachin. And yet Sachin... You know what's interesting, Dean? When you get a chance... <coughs> excuse me. To play against these guys. And you're a cover. Or you're at mid-wicket. And you hear a ball that Alan Donald bolts. Or... Um, a boomra in my time that I'm listening to now for the, for your listeners now, or, or when the ball hits the bat and it comes off Sachin's bat or Viv Richards' bat, it sounds different. You know when Warney bowled, you could hear yep. through the air. It's this energy. It's 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 a it's a, a sound of genius. You, you, you know and I'm lucky enough to go and watch, and I've played golf with Greg Norman. And see, hear him hit a driver compared to most, mm. and um, and you can hear guys who hit the ball out of bunkers. There's a different sound, and, and I'm lucky enough to, with the, through an invitation of Shane Warren, listen to Tiger Woods hit balls at a private golf club in Crown here in, uh, in Melbourne, and the sound of the ball coming off his irons is a different sound. It's just a sign, of, a sound of a genius at work. You know, it's. Quiet. It, it, it's a low sound, but it's a perfect sound. And there, there are guys that had it, um, and there are guys that are not. And you know, and Sachin was, you know, the, well, he was just a kid when I first played against him. Obviously, um, but he made hundreds against this thing when he was a kid, 18, 19, 18, 19 years of age in, in Sydney and in Perth. So he, he was something special. But Brett Cole is interesting. He's a A different style of person. He's a different style of Indian coming from Delhi and and that generation of Delhiites who, they're in your face now. They've got attitude. They want to be number one. They're not going to be subservient. And they want to show the world that they're the best. And the way he's led and the way he, you know, when I sat with Afghanistan as the head coach and I said, do you think you're good enough to compete against India? And they said, yes. And I said, and then I showed a, a clip of about three minutes of, of um, Virat doing weights, dead weighting and doing sprints. And I looked around at all of them and I said, you know, his body, fat content boys is is around 8%, 8%, and his skin folds are 40. And most of you guys are 90 or 100 plus. You think you're going to beat that? Dream again. And they were, they were a bit embarrassed. But that's what... They had to be shook up and woken up to say, if you want to compete against the big boys, you have to, you have to do the time, you have to do the the work to, that it takes to be a number one and maintain that levels. And, but Satchin was uh, was wasn't a super fit guy, like no, um, oh, he's fit obviously, but he, he, the key to all the greats students is that they read length better than most. Right. You know, they they make one mistake in in fifty. They don't, you know, they're sure their defensive skills are brilliant. Um, And I studied such an inside out. It takes them on average 180 balls to make a test 100. And 130 of those balls are defensive
0: shots forward defence, back defence, leave the ball alone. And so
1: two thirds of his game, or 70% of his game, is based on defence. And if the kids want to model that, make sure you get your defensive skills right. Sure, you need your offensive skills, but you need to have your defensive skills first. That's the first thing that will defeat you. or ruin you as a player or as a team, uh, and that will ruin your career. The first thing you've got to know is, is your defensive skills good enough? And that's the first thing I look at now for players when, when I look to, for test players and also one-day players. Um, Vrak Holly, 40%... Of of the balls, I think it's forty. It's about forty five of his balls is defence. He averages ninety two balls per hundred in ODI cricket. So forty of forty two of his balls, I think, are defensive shots. So defence is still important in one day cricket. It's not t twenty, but but in so defensive skills you've got still got to get the right. You've still got to keep really gun bowlers out like Rabada and go Well, are you going to get knocked over? Mm. Simple as that.
0: And, and I think one thing as well is that, um, Verat also focuses a lot on rotation of strike as well I'm not suggesting Sachin didn't, not at all But I'd also suggest that that Virat focuses a little more On rotation of strike, whereas Sachin was incredibly solid in his Defensive technique, very good at punishing The bad ball, whereas you've got A bit more of a package with Virat In strike rotation, defence And offence as well, would that be a Correct observation? Pretty, pretty, pretty spot on, Dean, I don't know
1: how you do it But you know, you're very, very good at what you do um, you absolutely, summation is pretty well right His he, power games Virat's power's games Better than Sachin There's no doubt And I think he's A little bit better Inside out over cover As well Yes Yeah Virat um, for, for um, uh, But at the same time I think Sachin Was a better player Of spin um, uh, Over the time But uh, Verat's Pretty Pretty Fine player There's probably what, A handful of guys In the world That can play All three formats Of the game if Saxon was at his best now, would he be in your T20, Indian T20 team now? Be questions, wouldn't they? Roald Sharma would be one.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there, is, there is no yeah, doubting really that. Gets, absolutely. Whether he gets in or not. Mm, tough one. And, and, uh, <laughs> it's just from a, I suppose, if I can, a, a visually impaired slash blind perspective, you made such interesting points just now about standing at cover and listening to bowlers bowling. And you mentioned Alan Ooh. Donald very briefly. You mentioned Shane Warne. So for me, listening on Stump Mike, Shane Warne, the biggest thing was that huge grunt that he used to give because of mm-hmm. the, obviously a leg spinner using your upper body and, and in your <clears throat> wrist as well. Uh, you know, so I think a leg spinner has a bit, uh, imparts a bit more effort than what a finger spinner would do. Um, so Warney would give that big grunt. But here's an interesting observation as well, is Alan Donald from South Africa versus Shobh Akhtar from Pakistan. Shobh probably was a bit quicker. But to me, and I'm going purely by sound, Alan Donald had a... a, a Cleaner action in, in delivery stride because you hardly heard anything when Donald got to the crease and delivered the ball again versus Shab Akhtar, who you, you heard his feet very much as they arrived at the, at the crease, a bit of a drag and then a huge grunt as well. So what would the comparisons be versus, so an Alan Donald or in, indeed a Glenn McGrath versus a Shahab Akhtar? Gee, uh, the sound is everything.
1: Um, you've got to accelerate through the crease. Um, and those boys do exactly. You, you, you said it perfectly. a oh, Brittley's a similar one as well. It's a bit similar to Alan Donald in many ways. That as a batsman, you can look for release points, and uh, they're just great athletes and they glide through the crease. Uh, whereas uh, Hector was an athlete, but a different type of one. He was. Uh, he had a slinging action. Um, so I think because of the sling, he actually had to put more effort and pivot on his front foot and, um, and knee and hip, et cetera. And, and also the sound comes from some guys wear longer spikes than others. Oh, right. Um, uh, that, that, that comes through as well. Um, but you, it, it's, it's, then you face no, – I face Michael Holding. They call him Whispered death. They, he, he just ran in like tippy-toes. I'll I tell you, it was a tippy-toes. You could hardly hear him. Was uh, was a macram.
0: Oh, yes, certainly.
1: Um yeah he he used to bowl in half spikes. He used to he used to come in like twinkle toes and and zing. that uh, actually sounded when they bowled with good heat, with good pace, it sounds like an arrow like a whoosh, 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 through the air, the ball that's the sound of the ball going through the air and it whistles a little bit through the air for us. and um and when you get another guy like Patrick Patterson, who was just the fastest I ever faced in one particular spell, the MCG in eighty eight. Uh, at the MCG, was he was ferocious and he had size sixteen feet and come in and just bang and just he was at you um, and a formidable opponent as well a big unit six foot six and he let you know that there's a game on um, didn't swing the ball much but had serious heat so all of them are all different type of player you know, a Do- a Donald I've never really thought he a big wasn't a huge scratcher of the ball in regards to a scratch of his feet coming through and the effort, but the other guys used to make awful sounds when it came through and Merv was one who used to do the grunt balls in, our, in my time etc. Yeah, uh, Bruce Rigg was another guy, uh, for us you didn't hardly hear at all when he delivered the ball, but there's definitely when the ball is delivered you can hear it whistle That's when, uh, when they're bowling at 150 clicks there's a, diff- there's a sound is that, with all due respect to the people in the stands, they don't hear it and it's quite scary, it is scary. And if you're sitting at the bowler's end where the umpire stands, and you see an Alan Donald or a uh, uh, Brett Lee or any of these boys, Malcolm Marshalls, and they, when they bowl 150 clicks, trust me, you do not want to be down the other end. Mm-hmm. It is scary as
0: hell. It, it must be unbelievable and if you're able to time one beautifully through the covers or anything like that it, the feeling the adrenaline that courses through your veins when you are able to actually get on top of somebody who is bowling 150 clicks and and uh, please i mean you've told the story i'm sure a hundred thousand times so this will be the hundred and first thousand time that you're going to tell it but mm-hmm. please tell us the story about Curtly ambrose i mean i was actually watching that game live not at the ground obviously but on on mm-hmm. television listening to it, watching it. Um, And obviously the whole Kirtley-Ambrose incident and the sweatband.
1: Well, it all happened four days before the actual game itself because I got hit in the thumb, my right thumb, by um, uh, Waka Yunus in a game against Pakistan and I I had a compound fracture in my right thumb and the bone came through the skin. So um, I had to get it pinned and, and I got that pinned. And back then back then, um, if you didn't play you don't get paid. And I'm a professional cricketer, I, I need to play and I, I had a young kid called Damian Martin snapping up my heels <laughs> and I didn't want to give him a game. Now, Alan Border said you're not taking a, an injection because he believes you shouldn't take injections. You've got to play with this, you've got to play... I've got stitches in, I've got a pin inserted and I'm thinking why am I playing, what am I doing? I've got to face Walsh and all these guys and... Uh, Bishop, um, you know, he's not the not the nice guy to face either. Um, and of course, currently, so I said, well, I'm playing. I, I, I need the cash because we didn't get paid that much back then. So, so selfishly, and self, people say you're selfish, but I had to put money on the table and food on the table for my family as well. Yeah. You know? And I was protecting. i would be dropped in the Australian team. There's lots of factors that come into the reason for it. And I noticed he was bowling with the white sweatbands with a white ball. In the Test matches, he was bowling red sweatbands with a red ball. Now you talk about release points. And we—he's uh, very difficult to, you know, see Brett Lee or, or, or Alan Donald. You can see it out at the hand pretty well as they wind up. But Curtley moves his hand around like a salt and pepper shaker. It's all over the place. and You're looking for that release point. And the release point tells you everything. But The great players know straight away. When they let it go, either go forward or go back. Yeah. Is it short or full? You're going to do two things, either you go forward or back. And I asked the boys, um, sorry, uh, Bob Simpson, if I could tell him to take his sweatpants off. And he said, well, oh, yeah, I can see, you know, you make a good point, Dino. Um, because what just happened... When we went out to bat, Bob Simpson announced the team to play against the West Indies the following week in Adelaide. He said, Everyone's going to Adelaide next week except you, Dino. You're not going. Now, why would he announce the team then and not do it after the game? Anyway, Absolutely. and I was furious. I was furious, and I let him know it. I said, Bob, that is not right now. I'm in a shocking state of why I'm not picked in this game. I should be, blah, blah, blah. So, Anyway, I didn't really want to speak to Bob, but I asked Bob, I'm going to ask him to take the sweatbands off. Now, the reason for that was that I couldn't charge him and hit him down the ground because my right hand was sore. But if he bowled quicker, and I never thought Curtly Ambrose was super quick, um, but if he bowled short, I could ramp him over the top of slips or hook him and, and, and use his pace to get boundaries that way. And then I asked, and Bob Simpson said, yeah, I don't mind you asking. And then I asked Alan Borda right next to me, and I'll clean it up for you and your listeners. Uh, He (laughs) said, it will be your your funeral if you do. And I took that as a yes. He didn't say yes or no. And then all the players in the dressing rooms going, oh, shut up, Dino. You get us killed. What are you doing that for? And basically, I don't give a shit because they're going to Adelaide next week. So... (laughs) So I walked out. Booney got out and I walked out and I walked past Steve War and Mark War, and Steve said to Mark, shit, shit Mark, he's not going to do it. And I thought, geez, they do talk. It's the first time I've ever heard the twins talk in, in about eight <laughs> years. So it's amazing what fear does. So I walked out on the ground and took the first ball and asked him to take his sweatpants off. And, well, the next three balls were the three of the quickest deliveries you probably wish to hope that Kirtley could bowl. And at the end of the over, the umpire called over, and then I had 11 West Indians and one Australian batsman, um, B. Mark Taylor, sledging me, um... Mark Taylor, oh, I've got two kids. What have you done? God, you're going to get me killed. And I just said to him, I don't give a shit because you're going to Adelaide next week. So and I'm not going. He, he, he got six. He got six guys out. He didn't get me out though. I got I got AD with a busted right hand, but um, I hit him down the ground once for, for a four. But um, uh, it's. Probably had my time again, I wouldn't have done it,
0: that's for sure. Absolutely. But, I mean, we all, I mean, there are times, Dean, that, that things happen spur of the moment or whatever else. Some of them worked off very nicely and others didn't. But it's, it's a great story. And, and, again, it just shows the tenacity that you have and, and the courage that you have to, at times, you know, take matters into your own hands and do what you need to do. I want to talk about footwork, something that you prided yourself on immensely and something that, in my opinion, you um, i can't say you brought it into the modern game but you certainly made us once again realize the importance of nimble footwork be it facing the seamers you mentioned just now how you used to charge the quicker bowlers i remember one game in particular when you charged wasim akram quite a few times and uh, lifted him straight back over his head on a few occasions and uh, and, and it is something that you prided yourself on nimble footwork be it against the seamers be it against the spinners how important is that footwork as a Because a lot of the modern-day batsmen actually stand very still at the crease, don't they?
1: Yeah, it's all about power, particularly in the T20s and the one days when they're looking to go big. Um, I don't call it footwork, Dean. I I actually call it headwork. Right. Um, The reason why I say that is if you're going to walk, the first part of your body that moves is your head. Right. And it's your balance. And if your head's not getting forward, then your foot's not getting forward, that's for sure. Or if you're not getting back, your head's not going back. If you if you get a bit scared and guys are going backing away to square leg, it's because the head's going
0: there first. So
1: I always employ batsmen, Where's your head just before the movement, or just before when he picks up the line and length of the ball? Um, and then if you're going to go forward, actually you've got to go slightly back to get to press forward to go forward. If you want to go back, you've actually got to press slightly on the inside of your front foot to press back. It's the way it's sort of done. So uh, always careful of, of footwork. So, you know, um, before the 1986 Indian tour, uh, I, 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 I was good enough. I, I, I sent a letter off to Sir Donald Bradman and he told me to give Lindsay Hassett a call about footwork. And, he, I, I saw Lindsay Hassett at a function at, at Cricket Victoria and um, and he was
0: having a drink at lunchtime and, and I said to him, um, uh, Lindsay, I spoke to Sir Donald Brabham, uh, can you talk to me about footwork? He said,
1: it's really easy, sir. When the spinner tosses it up. You use your feet and hit it on the half folly or on the full And if you can't do that You play it off the back foot Now go get me a scotch (laughs) Now I I sat back I said it can't be that easy He said yeah it is Now go and get me a scotch So I went and got a scotch And brought it back for him And I said to him He said said, once you play a forward defensive Shot to a spinner He's beaten you in flight And brings the bat pads into play So how do you speak the bat pads and plays? You've got to use your feet, pick up the line and length, and I keep saying it before, the great players pick up line and length better than anyone else. And the first thing that goes for a batsman is not his technique, it's not his head. Mind you, head is a problem in what they're thinking between their ears. (laughs) We're all being through it. But the fact that they're not reading length properly. And read the length. Get down, get get to it on the half folly, get it on the full, or play it off the back foot. And that's how I coach now. So, spinners, trust me, they say, I love a batsman coming at me. No, they don't. Mm. No, they don't. They do not like you coming at you. They hate, hate the fact they're trying to get you in a front foot position to play, to try to hit your front pad, particularly with DRS now, or the back padders are there. They want you in that position. You can't get in that position, particularly with DRS now. You've either got to get to it on the full or play it off the back foot. And players still don't know how to do it today. And I don't know why.
0: And I want to talk about your test based innings of two hundred and sixteen. Uh, Merv Hughes has such a beautiful story that he relates at, at functions and I've only ever heard him on television, of course, never got to meet Big Merv. Um but and, and he talks about the fact that he was able to score seventy three not out, which in his mind, had he not scored those runs, you would not have got anywhere near your total of two hundred and sixteen. And of course he says it in a jocular manner. But um
1: and, and No, he's, he's what we call he's fair dick of about it. He's not jocular at all. Oh, he's, right. He <laughs> and he's right. <laughs> Excellent. And, um, so, so because, and, and, and it, it's he, not my best innings personally, but my best innings I thought was 48. My first Test match against the West Indies on a green pitch. Right. And they had Marshall and Garner, um, Holding and Daniel. I think was playing. And you know that's that was quite difficult in a game. That I was I was very sick as well before the game. You would have thought I had COVID nineteen when I turned up. But um, the two sixteen was an interesting knock. I'm fighting for my career, and I didn't have a great year first class. And I'm, you know, there's the Ashes series just around the corner that uh, that year, uh, Adelaide Oval, and um, and I just said to Merv, look, you stick around, but and you never know anything can happen, and we're bouncing him and. Absolutely Trying to hurt him Now We had We had a massive problem Dean The biggest I haven't said this to many people So i I'll give you A bit of an exclusive here Um, The thing that changed Australian cricket In my time Was the test match Two test matches Before that Adelaide test match Was at the MCG Now We had to face On an awful pitch We had to bat out The last day For a draw And West Indies were all over us. And the pitch was up and down. And they got Kirtley and Bishop and, you know, um, Patrick Patterson and and Courtney Walsh, um, Malcolm Marshall, whatever. They're all in there. And they bowled like the wind. And the pitch was a bit scary. And Alan Border got hit in his hand three times and he'd broken four fingers on his right hand. Um, I got hit in the ribs and I was wearing a hit uh, a, a rib protector. I've broken three ribs yeah. through Malcolm Marshall. Um, Booney got hit in the, in the arm by Lee and he had a green stick fracture. And Ian Healy got hit um, three times uh, in the genitals. I'll say it nicely. And, and he um, and he in a bad way. Now, We got completely smashed up, and our our bowlers, Merv included, were all backing away. They liked bowling bouncers, but they didn't like copping them back. And it was the most gutless, insipid, horrific performance I've ever seen a Australian team put in. We were scared, scared as. And we got back in the rooms,
0: and there's always silence in your dressing room when you lose. Yes.
1: And you can hear the difference between winning and losing. I was sitting there in the dressing rooms, as the West Indies rooms is right next to us, it was this one wall, which is six inches. It's a very difficult wall, and you can hear them with the reggae music going off, and they're all joking, the reggae, the blasters playing, and they're all carrying on. And the difference between success and failure is this six inch wall. And how are we as a team, as a player, got to get through that wall? How do we bust through it? Now, as we spoke, uh, we had, everyone's in the rooms quiet as anything. Bob Simpson walks in and said, right, here's a listen for you, Dean. Whenever a team loses, whether it be rugby, soccer, cricket, players go to the corners of the room that's the way people tend to behave. They hide in the corners. When you're winning, everyone's in the middle of the room enjoying each other's company. But when you lose, everyone see, seeps back. It's like that Homer Simpson type show when he walks back into the, into the hedge. Everyone tries to blend into the wall and not to be seen. And then Bob Simpson said, right, everyone, let's get in the room. Now, we couldn't get everyone in the room because there I saw Ian Healy getting 13 stitches in his scrotum mm-hmm. in the corner. We are in a mess. We've got ice on our bodies. We're battered. We're bruised. We're literally smashed up. And Bob Simpson said, right, everyone, get in the middle. So we got in the middle, and he looked at me. I don't know why he picked on me, Bob. He said, Dino, what's the most important thing you've ever earned in your life? I said, my baggy green. He said, get it for me. So I picked up my baggy green out of the coffin, and I walked across, and I threw it at his feet. He said, Thanks, tough, Because he was standing eight metres away. Right. He said, Steve War, what is your what's the greatest thing you've ever heard in your life? He said, My baggy green, can you get it for me? And he went and got it. Pete, can I have it? And he threw it at his feet. He went through the whole team. He had eleven and twelve baggy green caps at his feet. And he said, You lazy bastards Not one of you, if it was so dear to you, walked over it and handed it to me. You all put it at my feet. And he was right. He said, right, everyone get your tracksuits on. We need to have a talk. So we went across to the, the, um, the Hilton Hotel, now the Pullman, across, it's about 300 metres away. And it was embarrassing because not one cricket fan, Australian cricket fan, asked us for our autograph. Not once. Okay. So that, they were embarrassed for us. So we walked across and we got into a room. There's a few beers there. A few people had a few beers. A few people had a few more beers and the truth factor started to come out. And we started to have a go at the bowlers and we started to have a go at the um, bowlers having a go at batsmen and we needed to sort this stuff out because we can't sort ourselves out. How the hell are we going to sort out West Indies? So Bob Simpson brought in a whiteboard and admittedly, um, a few guys have had a few beers and he said, what are we going to do? and I've had a few beers, probably one too many, and he said, I want to beat these so-and-sos. He said, Dino, to beat these guys, that means you have to be the best batsman in the world. Are you prepared to put in the work? Are you prepared to understand the responsibilities that go along with being one of the best batsmen in the world to play against these guys? I said, yeah. He said, are you prepared to work? I said, yeah, all right, we start tomorrow. Right. And he went to the next one, and we just asked our bowlers not to back away once. If your bowl bounces, expect them back. Make sure you pat it up, stay side on, and don't back away because we looked like, honestly, we, was, we were gutless. And we wrote down this mission statement of what we needed to do, a footprint of our future success. And once we, everyone was happy with that, and then Bob Simpson looked at all of us and said, if you're as good as your word, this is the same team for next game in Sydney. Could you believe it? He said, we're going to have the same team after that Gubba's performance? He's going to have the same team in Sydney? So as we walked out, I've had one too many beers, and I yelled out to our captain, Alan Border. I said, AB, we're fed up here in the criticism of you in the papers about us, enough's enough. So we are all prepared to go for a brick wall for you, but are you prepared? to put your career on the line for us? And he said, yes. Well, the very next Test match, he took 11 wickets, Alan Border, and we beat the West Indies, and then we went to Adelaide, and Merv helped me get through, get 200, and he got hit 35 times.
0: Goodness.
1: And then we were cast, two months later, we were cast to be the worst team to ever leave Australian shores to go and play in England, and we beat England 4 zip. But we needed to have that drawn a line in the sand. We had to have that moment. And we had to know more about each other than we need about the opposition. And that's the way the footprint and that's the way that Alan Baller led. And that's what changed the fortunes of Australian cricket.
0: So you'd never have played under Steve Waugh's captain. You certainly played with him a great deal and, and Mark yes. Taylor as well. Yep. Mark Taylor who succeeded Alan Border in 1994 and of course then Steve mm. Waugh took over from Taylor. But in your mind, what were the differences between an AB, a Mark Taylor and a Steve Waugh in terms of their captaincy?
1: Well, interestingly, Mark Taylor probably had Glenn McGrath and Shane Warren at their best. Um, and he only had a fifty-eight. Only had he still had a very good you know, captaincy success rate, fifty-eight percent, I think his captaincy record is. And Steve Waugh's a seventy-seven percent. I think I think Steve Waugh captain. How many times you know more than me, Dean? Is he over seventy times? Maybe uh, I think AB was yeah. ninety-four. Yeah, was he something like that? Yes. Um, yes. No, that's a And his record was seventy-seven percent. Seventy-seven percent his winning record, Steve Waugh. But here's the kicker: in seventy odd test match or test matches that he captained, he only debuted six players. Right now, now everyone said, "Well, gee, that's a bit selfish." But this is your time. It's not being a president in a way, you know. This, it's your term, and you have got to do the right thing before they kick you out. So. He didn't leave much left at all for Ricky Ponting, et to take over from them. And, uh, you know, I think Michael Clark had to debut 30 odd players in his time. So they're always constantly changing. But Steve Waugh only debuted six players. So what does that mean? He had a team that stuck around. You know, he had all these great players like, you know, Hayden and Langer and Gillespie and you know, McGrath or Brett Lee or Warning, oh, what a team. You know, of course, a bloke called Gilchrist, he could go. So, you
0: know, it probably is, is is our greatest ever cricket team that's ever
1: played, so arguably. Um, and, and he was the one that brought in the caps. He was the one, in, one that brought in the numbers and the presentations, us going to all these war memorials and understand, you know, the, the, the significance of the baggy green cap and the history of it. He brought the pomp and ceremony to the baggy green cap, whereas Mark Taylor just chewed his gun. Come on, boys, let's go out and play. Uh, Steve was a bit more calculated uh, in the way he went about his business.
0: But they all had very, very contributing factors uh, in terms of positivity for the progression of Australian oh, yeah. cricket, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. And, and, and it, it, to be honest, and it's Alan Border that taught them how to do that because all of them played underneath AB. See, A.B. was the godfather of Australian cricket. He's he's the one who created the renaissance, the revival of Australian cricket. So, um, yeah, and and A.B. put the foundations in. Now, uh, to be a good person, do the right thing, practise hard, be honest with yourself, prepare, all those type of things. Whereas before you know, in the good old days. You know, Lily and Chapel and Rob Marshall when I was a kid and all that, they were great players, obviously, but not many of them wanted to go to Pakistan and play or play in India and do all those things. They refused to go on those tours. I mean, we had to go on them.
0: That's that. That's a shame, uh, to be honest. But uh, I guess that's the way that life is. Um, so, it, then, yep. just to conclude, I mean, we could carry on talking all day. But um, just to conclude, Dean, is Tim Payne the right man to be captaining the Australian Test side? Gee,
1: t- it's a really good question, and. I doubted it when I first saw him come in and, and now I have to say I, 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 I know him quite well and you know we're mates and we send messages to each other occasionally and all that type of stuff and see what he's done after what happened in South Africa and what we did mind you a lot of teams were doing it as well but not as stupidly as what our guys were doing it um, and it was a multitude of things just not like that that just built up and a volcano exploded and mm-hmm. and we needed a composed all great captains are composed. You know, they always look like they've got a, a response. They've always got a, a solution to the problem that great man manages and say the right things at the right time. Um, and he's got that. Now, he, he needs to improve his batting. He needs he obviously needs to do that. But, you know, it's... it's He's one of those guys that he's done, I think, remarkably well. And, um, and now... Because of our success in Test cricket, we have got back to number one and, you know, we got the care factor back and respect back a little bit. We've got a while to go yet as well. Yeah. But I, I think he's done a really, really good job. And I'll tell you what, he's a damn fine keeper. In Test cricket, you've got to be a good keeper, you know, and unfortunately there are blokes like Adam Gilchrist and Geoffrey Dujon have made it harder for others because if you don't, you know, in Boucher probably you can see the same as a, If you don't make runs these days, you're not, you know, in don't keep, you you don't get picked. But I tell you what, he's a fine keeper in his own right. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty proud to have him as our captain of Australia for sure.
0: Dean Jones, all I can say is thank you. This has been one of the most enthralling, amazing interviews I've had on Dean at Stumps. Thank you for your time and wishing you nothing but success for the future.
1: You're a star, Dino, and you, I love your passion and, more importantly, your knowledge of the game. It's always a pleasure. Any time for you, bud, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it.
0: You're listening to Dean at Stumps, hosted by Dean Duplessis. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you all around. A couple of extra thank yous coming in at the end. The apologies for that slight technical glitch, but there you are. That was Dean Jones in conversation with Dean Duplessis, myself, yours truly. Unbelievable stuff. You've been listening to the Dean of Stunts podcast. It's been an absolute joy and pleasure being with you and uh, we'll be around pretty soon for the next one. But until then, stay safe and goodbye. Listening to DNET Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.